In the age of widespread distrust towards healthcare and pharmaceutical industries, is there an opportunity to turn to traditional and more accessible forms of medical treatment? To bring a drug on the market today, it takes about 10 to 15 years and about $2.7 billion, right? So uh, if you think about it, when you take Prozac against depression, you have to take that pill every day. Preliminary results showed that just one session or a couple of sessions have long-lasting effect for like over years on these people. So. Maybe for a pharmaceutical enterprise that uh, is for profit, you can see how Prozac is more appealing as a source of profit. From the Tedan people of Indonesia using plants to treat and prevent malaria as recent as 2017, to the ancient use of Hyptis by the Quechua people of Ecuador, Plants have been and continue to be used medicinally. For eons, humans have been using plants for everyday use, whether that is food, medicine, or even just recreationally. The use of plants for nutritional purposes has remained prevalent and is becoming even more so as many turn to plant-based diets. The recreational use of plants is continued as we use plants for ornamental purposes, as well as increasing interest and movement towards the recreational use of certain hallucinogenic plants. However, the use of plants in medicine seems to have been lost as Western culture has embraced industrialization. Pharmaceuticals have long been derived from chemicals found in plants, and oftentimes it is shown that people, particularly in indigenous communities, have been using the same plants to remedy the same problems. Hi, I'm Macy Smith, and this is State of the Pod where science meets society. Today, we'll learn more about the topic of ethnobotany, the use of plants by humans. Ethnobotany isn't widely understood, and who better to explain it than today's guest, Dr. Julia Frizzo. Dr. Frizzo is a senior research associate and professor in the School of Integrated Plant Science here at Cornell. She teaches classes on medical ethnobotany. I'll let her introduce herself to you and give you an understanding of what ethnobotany is. I grew up and I was raised in Italy. Italy happened to be uh, part of the Mediterranean basin, uh, which happened to be the third richest uh, hotspot in terms of biodiversity when uh, we look at plant diversity. Since they have such a rich um, family of plants around, they have been using them as part of their tradition and culture. I have many memories of my parents, for example, my mother. My mother was always giving, uh, make us drink chamomile tea before exam or if we will have an upset stomach or sometime in the summer she would go out in the garden and uh, pick up lavender flowers and then dry them in the basement and uh, and then made little um, 
little bags to put under our pillow to because in fact we know that lavender is actually soothing and uh, inducing sleep and calmness and it's also used to purify the air because it has many essential oil including linal oil uh, which is a strong antimicrobial property when we go in the mountains my father would pick up arnica flowers and uh, dip them in um, alcohol and make some tincture that would soothe our muscle. So I am. Uh, I have been a Cornell for the last 19 years, and uh, uh, I. Mm, do research on plant biology and biochemistry and mass spectrometry and proteomics uh, but for I also have a background in um, pharmacology and uh, so about four years ago I had the opportunity to create these two new classes on the topic of medicinal plants and one of them is medical ethnobotany so ethnobotany um, simply means uh, um, how people of a different region of the world uh, make use of plants um, as part of their indigenous knowledge. And this knowledge is often uh, transmitted from one generation to the next orally. As evidenced by Dr. Frizzo's own experience, ethnobotany has a deep history and many cultures associated with it. Ethnobotany is incredibly multidimensional and has touched and continues to touch the lives of many. So the first written records uh, really come from ancient civilization all around the world. We find in ancient China, ancient India, ancient Egypt. In Egypt, for example, uh, we have written record, the Eber papyrus, that lists more than 800 plant species, the way to use, the way to cultivate them, and, uh, and to use them uh, for the ma maintenance of health, but also to promote uh, and to heal, uh, so as remedial plants. And, uh, and these plants include cannabis and uh, opium poppy, uh, myrrh and frankincense and many other plants that are used uh, today in many traditional medicine for their properties. So this knowledge has been there all along. Plants have been part of indigenous culture and local culture all around the world and um, not just for healing properties but also of course as source of food, as source of um, perfumes because they have many aromatic compounds uh, to purify the air because of their uh, microbial property as building material but not just uh, because of wood that can be used for building but um, for example we know that in ancient Rome uh, the Gauls were building bridges, so what is today France, uh, they would build bridges made of hemp. Hemp is actually really great material uh, instead of using concrete and so on. We may think of medical ethnobotany as being ancient or dated, but according to Dr. Frizzo, that's far from the truth. I think now there is uh, a revival. I would say uh, we are out of the dark. 80% of the developing world today use plants as a main source of medicine. 
40% of uh, prescribed drugs that are on the market today, uh, they really originate from plants. While ethnobotany is used in many different contexts, today we are focusing on medical ethnobotany. Much of what we know about medicine today relates to plants and is very much entwined with ethnobotany. In the Middle Ages, for example, botanic gardens were called healing gardens because that's where the science of botany, of chemistry and medicine really was focused because until the end of the 1800s, the only medicine came from natural product. Uh, that being plants, animals, or minerals, right? Then uh, what happened in the end of the 1800s, for the first time, scientists started purifying the active compounds that was found in plants. And very often, there is many compounds. And these compounds are also differently distributed within different organs in the plants. Uh, for example, at the end of 1800, morphine was purified and from there uh, many aspirin was derivatized from uh, salicin found in the willow bark uh, and so on and so forth and that brought the concept of western medicine which is very different from traditional medicine because in western medicine the concept is that we use one isolated compounds mm -hmm. to address one drug target within the human body while in traditional medicine very often different compounds uh, act together in a synergistic way, sometimes putting shade in their effect. And sometimes even more plants with more compounds get mixed together for the healing property. And that's because these compounds very often uh, have this synergistic effect. Then we had the advent of combinatorial chemistry and chem organic chemical synthesis in uh, the 80s, more or less, 1980s. Um, scientists thought that new drug could be found and, and made just synthetically in an organic lab. And so they start mixing with combinatorial chemistry different ingredients and trying to make a drug that could be bioactive. But in fact, very few medicine came from that approach. If you think about why do plants make these metabolites, these compounds, bioactive compounds, when they are attacked from a predator, from an herbivore, or for their seed dispersal, or to attract pollinator, they have this chemical arsenal that they of compounds they can make to attract or deter organisms. And so it makes sense if you think about it that these bioactive compounds they, they are made by nature uh, over millions of years of evolution uh, to exert certain function uh, on different organisms would have a function also, you know, in the right. human body rather than randomly put together mm -hmm. molecules that the chemistry made. And that way many drugs that are now mass produced and used in Western medicine uh, were discovered from plants 
including vinblastin and vincristin from the Madagascar periwinkle, which are used in chemotherapy, or paclitaxel, also used in chemotherapy, that came from the taxus tree or the yew tree. Knowing how the use of plants medicinally can be beneficial, how can we move forward with the incorporation of ethnobotany in our lives today? What we really should uh, be looking for as a society is really uh, not to choose either one or the other, but probably the combination of Western medicine and traditional medicine, and to uh, to implement the combination of both knowledge. I, I think in some countries, even some part of the world, this is happening already. Actually, for example, um, in many countries in the East, like in uh, Japan, in China, many doctors are nowadays train on both traditional medicine and Western medicine. So they have a knowledge of natural remedies versus, you know, medicine that can be prescribed, right? And you find so this isolated compound. Much of how we think about using plants medicinally is tied to hallucinogenic plants like marijuana. While many may think this is new and groundbreaking, the use of hallucinogenic plants has been around for a shockingly long time. Indigenous people had a great respect, and they still do, right, for for plants, and um, and they use it very often also for religious purposes and to connect with the spirits and and the ancestors. And very often, if you go to a healer in some communities, uh, um, in some cases, these healers would um, make use of hallucinogenic uh, plants and this for them but they never really abuse of them uh, recreationally like we tend to do in the West here. but they because they have this great respect they instead use uh, this uh, status, uh, advanced status, to connect with their ancestor mm -hmm. and to um, search for guidance. For example, when they have to heal somebody, in some cases they have this uh, ceremony uh, with uh, the use of hallucinogenic plants where they basically ask the ancestors for guidance and the spirits uh, that live within the plant. So it's very, it's very spiritual and it's very real. Much of the current discussion and debate around hallucinogenic plants for medicine is about marijuana. However, according to Dr. Frizzo, this isn't where all of the current research lies. With the Nixon administration in the 1960s or so, all research on hallucinogenic was completely stopped. They were defined as substance one, the most restrictive, so with no medicinal use and um, just uh, that could cause uh, um, uh, 
like addiction, very dangerous, and all research stuff. Even if preliminary results with psilocybin, for example, that come from uh, the psilocybin mushroom is, uh, that are endemic from South America, they are also called magic mushroom, mm -hmm. um, had very promising uh, first results on clinical trial on patients with depression. Uh, but all research was frozen for about 20 years. Only more recently, new clinical trials have, have been activated in the United States and in the UK uh, in different centers. First uh, on uh, terminal cancer patients, but also on case with um, uh, for example, uh, obsessive disorder and severe depression, and also addiction like alcohol addiction, cocaine addiction, um, eating disorder, and so on. And uh, preliminary data uh, that are more recent on clinical trial have been very promising uh, because uh, many patients that have been going through just one session of psilocybin, this has to be because psilocybin is highly hallucinogenic. It's usually now given at microdoses and in a very controlled setting. So the patient would lie down uh, on a hospital uh, bed for like five to six hours and during that time a nurse or a practitioner would be uh, staying next to the patient the whole time. But after just one or a couple of sessions, uh, results show uh, the potential uh, that these drugs have, these compounds have to heal this uh, addiction and severe depression. If all this is true, why is it that ethnobotany isn't more widely practiced? And how does this all tie in with the distrust many currently hold with the healthcare and pharmaceutical industries. If you think about it, um, pharmaceutical companies are big enterprise. They are enterprise for profit. To bring a drug on the market today, it takes about 10 to 15 years and about 2.7 million billion dollars. Right. So uh, if you think about it, when you take Prozac against depression, you have to take that pill every day for the rest of your life very mm -hmm. often, right? People take it for years and years. So the fact that psilocybin can cure uh, may, has the potential. We still don't know the long-term effect. But preliminary results showed that just one session or a couple of sessions have long-lasting effect for like over years on these people. So maybe for a pharmaceutical enterprise that uh, is for profit, you can see how Prozac is much yeah. more appealing as a source of profit, right? So that that's where a lot of mistrust, I think, come um, on, on patients today that try to look at alternative ways. Dr. Frizzo believes that there needs to be more work done to increase awareness and the implementation of ethnobotany, as well as to protect and respect those who do have the knowledge and do practice ethnobotany.
Uh, yeah, I think uh, what we uh, need uh, is to uh, um, bring ethnobotany to the university, engage and empower community, and um, also educate and giving the community the right to decide if they want to share their knowledge at their own term mm -hmm. and when they want to share it. What um, a lot of people around the world are trying to promote is some kind of, like the heritable trust, for example, fund trust. It's like uh, creating a fund where the community is responsible of deciding if they want to share, uh, with whom they want to share, and at their own term, and right. without any expiration dates. I encourage everybody that is listening, if you are interested in the topic, try to take one of my classes. They are very popular among students from different majors, and, um, and it's interesting because then we can really go deeper into the knowledge of ethnobotany and plan in general. Having the knowledge about ethnobotany gives us the opportunity to take our health into our own hands. Practicing ethnobotany in our own lives can allow us to make certain decisions for ourselves and teach others as well. While there is work to be done, it isn't a far stretch to say that ethnobotany is beneficial and should be more encouraged and accepted. Perhaps in the future, our distrust will be replaced with something new, or rather, something lost.